folks, freaks, and fans. Welcome to Craft Beer's only voice of reality. To the podcast with the guts to face failure in the beer industry with a smirk and a grin. To the place where we can share the honest truth of what really happens in the P&Ls and the spreadsheets of America's beer makers. Welcome to How Not to Start a Damn Brewery, the podcast. With each new season of the show, I've encouraged evolution, growth, and a warm embrace with change. Now over 40 episodes in, my guests and I have honed our focus and goals to make you the best you can be in your career. What you're about to experience is season five, 10 interviews with experienced operators that lived right through it. This season's guests will peel back the layers of bullshit and get right to the truth. The truth that the beer publications, the Brewers Association, and of course, those hypey ass breweries that act all successful on social media do not want you to know. That the majority of breweries in the US are not making any money at all and have absolutely no chance of ever doing so. But if you're looking for a roadmap to financial success in craft beer, then you've come to the right place. This season, we'll hear from breweries from Portland to Atlanta, past and present, to help teach you how not to start a damn brewery. It was just a little bit of bleeding constantly, and I was trying to stop the bleeding to where I could recover, and I just couldn't get past that precedence. Josh Kress is a cool guy that followed his heart, chased his dreams, and made his piece of the world just a little bit better. His passion should inspire all of us to linger just a minute in the mirror today and take a hard look at why we do what we do. While Hugh Six Taphouse ended up out of business, twice, he may have changed the landscape of Sacramento forever. He brought in craft for craft's sake to an area that was underserved. He struggled against his lack of business experience and fought to create a business that stood for something. Maybe his plan was flawed. Maybe his goal was off target. But he never wanted to be rich like most people had opened a business. Hell, he wasn't even sure he'd stay in business that long. But he knew he had to try with everything that he had. And, to his credit, new owners have taken over Hugh Six and reopened this month. So you may notice that my normal voice patterns to be a little bit slow, sillier than usual, and slightly off. It isn't my fault. I blame the mushrooms I felt were a good idea to eat before this interview. So ignore that and pay close attention to Josh and his story. There's something important to learn there, and I truly hope you hear it. Joshua, I want to thank you for talking. I want to thank you for sharing. Thank you most of all for taking the time out to just like help all of us be better in our careers. And so it's super cool. Not everybody's willing to do it. And I get it. So the struggle sucks. It is what it is. But that's my weird way of welcoming you to the show. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Yeah. So we've got a lot to talk about. There's a lot of interesting things that you have gone through. But my understanding is you have effectively tried Husix twice. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the last time was what obviously caught my eye. And, and so we're going to talk about that. But in a way, like, let's talk about all of it. Let's talk about like the whole concept of what you did and why you did it. But let's start with obviously craft beer is a thing. But how did you find it? Like, wh- Who were you before that? Give us your history, your backstory. You're a superhero. Yeah. So, you know, really, I've worked in the industry, in the food and beverage industry since I was 14. I got into more of the business side when I was about uh, 20. I took over my first roundtable pizza at the West Coast chain out here. Did that for about five, six years and then started working for the state. I always found myself working a second job when I did work for government usually bartending or bouncing whatever else. Right about when I turned about 24, 25, a friend of the family decided he was building a coffee shop in this building my mom had her office at. And not, not to interrupt you, but I'm just, I'm just curious. So you were a bouncer at, what, 20? Is that what you're trying to say? Like you were big enough at 20 to just like throw yeah, people I, out of places? 24, so I was a bouncer. I mean, I was like 6'2 at like 18. I went from like 5'7 to 6'2 real quick. I've always been a big boy. No, I did start bouncing until I was like 22 or so. And it's like off and on. It was like a little dive thing where it was a karaoke bar and you had to have them. I was not like a cooler or anything like that. I'm, not, then, a, uh, I'm not a journalist, but they would call that bearing the lead. So I just want to make sure you didn't yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've worn a lot of hats in my life in the short amount of time. But yeah, so I started working for the state and that's when I would do the bouncing or bartending at about, I was about 24 when I started. Always my foot in more of the beverage side of the industry. Uh, just because more fun and I was, you know, a, a little, I was enjoying that side. And so a friend, he went to, a friend of the family, he went to Belgium, came back and decided his coffee shop was now going to be a beer cafe. And a place is called Pangea. It's in Sacramento. The guy's Rob Archie, who really brought Belgian and a lot of craft beers to Sacramento. And it was him and another guy named Kenny who had the two spots where you could get craft beers and, and imports crew imports in the Sacramento area. He turned me on to beers other than light beers because I I wasn't a fan of IPAs or anything. And so from there, it just kind of went on. And my buddy started a website called followcraftbeer.com. I wrote for that 
for a good good four or five years. It was a website. And so we were actually, so we would go and just do beer reviews on releases and spots like that, just kind of driving. This was pre-social media used as, you know, social media was a part of it, but wasn't like the hub for information on places and such. And so, yeah, we had our followers and such and would just do that. And so that got me connected and meeting a lot of people in the industry. And then I started hosting trivia. And then I started selling trivia on the side while still working for the state. And then that really embedded me into the industry. So you were um, hosting trivia. What do, you, what do you mean by that? You started your own company or are you working for somebody doing that? No. So I started working for a company called geek to drink So they were all over the country, really tied with the craft beer industry. Trivia and beer kind of go hand in hand. And so with that, I was the West Coast sales guy. I would be going to all the craft beer events, brew fest, things like that making a lot of friends in the industry and learning more and more about craft beer. Uh, I learned quickly that I had no interest in brewing whatsoever. I love the beer. I love the craft. Why? What did did you learn that you didn't want to make beer? Detail-oriented nature of brewing, the cleaning. I mean, I'm not against cleaning. I've worked in kitchens and such all my life. But still not afraid of getting into a messy sitch. But there's a lot of art to it and, and a passion behind it and I found my passion was in the enjoyment and understanding what I'm enjoying um, I've, I've got a pretty strong palate versus the actual creation I, that's you know enjoying other people's artwork is kind of my side of it versus being the artist so what did you do or did you at that point to develop your palate I mean a lot of people that say have a, a great palate some, some people are just sort of born with it and some people spent a lot of time tasting different things I think it's more mine's been born I was born with I, I could flavors I didn't know what I'm tasting or whatever but I can get, I could find I find complexity and suss things out and the learning part was learning what the heck am I tasting and so like on the food side pizza has always been is a great way to learn flavors in a most rudimentary way because you have all these different toppings these characters finding these combinations the right combinations and and experiencing so that's when like my it would reflect in food and then once I got into beverages and I hated IPAs because stringency and the bitterness of hops, especially when it's so new to me, was really hard to get to. So I was drinking light beers until I got to Belgians. And all of a sudden, at that place that my friend opened, you know, I had my first Allagash Curio. And I'm like, what is this? And I knew nothing about beer science. I knew nothing about hops, malts, anything. And he's like, these are Belgians and this is what's up. And then I started going down that path and going, holy moly. And I found myself being able to taste and when drinking with others, they were always blown away. I could taste, okay, I'm like, this there's, This is what I'm getting out of this one thing. I don't know what it is, what it's called, but I'm just tasting this and this is what I'm tasting. What the heck is this? You know, or, or like, oh, I really love this. What is, what is it of it that I'm enjoying? These are the, this is what I'm tasting and they'll go in. So that's always been kind of how I've grown and with brewers, you know, taste ago, oh, getting this, what what caused that? And so I, at this point, I, I understand the science behind the beer in a lot of different ways. But again, that's more of how is it translating on my tongue. So I'm catching those nuances where it's like, ooh, there's a little bit of this. There's a hop oil you use or something. And a brewer would be like, holy crap, how'd you pick that up? And it's not because I went to like EJCP or anything. <laughs> I, I just, I'm just like, this is... Brewers have taught me this is what I'm tasting and such. So it's been one of those I've found through trial and error that my palate picks up stuff really, really well. Well, so it's interesting to me because there was a, I don't know when the hell this article came out, but it was after I had experienced IPAs and and as a wine drinker, IPAs were the first thing that kind of made me like, oh shit, beer's kind of cool too in a way. So you never had that. You tasted an IPA from the beginning. You're like, this is fucking stupid. Why would anybody do this? Yeah. Well, it's here. I mean, home of Sierra Nevada and in round tables, we had Bud Bud Light, Coors Light, Sierra Nevada as our uh, import beer, and then maybe like Heineken or something. And I had the Sierra Nevada, or we have like Gordon Biersch's Martzen or Hefeweizen, which is always the gateway beer for non I, you know, IPA drinkers who know nothing. Like these are palatable. The Sierra Nevada is like, ugh, this is rough. And so my journey with is a very common one, but uncommon. I knew I was pushing a boulder uphill a lot of times in popularity especially uh, in california I, especially <laughs> in california we're having the west coast craze then i'm having none of it whole part with that is that's how it, it turned me on all these breweries like your firestone walkers or whatever that are doing these non 
popular beers. Back in the day when Sacktown Union opened up and Mike, he was a, uh, his Polsch won a gold medal in the World Beer Cup. And like, this is, tell me more about Polsch's because this is in my wheelhouse. You know, this is like, I, I, when the Crispy Boy wave came, that was, that was my happy time. It still is. And so it was great. But then I also knew that there is a value to the IPAs and hoppy brewing and doing it and finding the nuances of doing it well. That was the other part was with the West Coast craze. I mean, people were putting out insanely horrible beers just to have the highest IBU. If you're listening, those were air quotes. Um, like that, it, it was it was unfun. They're just trying to burn your mouths out. And I was like, this isn't bad. And then all of a sudden you get a brewer who was doing a great West Coast that was well-balanced, that expresses the hops well enough. You're like, okay, this is a great representation. And that's actually how I came to enjoy and appreciate IPAs is because like I found what a good IPA is. I found good representation. And just like anything, you kind of get used to it. And it's like, hey, am I going to grab a lager or an IPA? I'm going lager. I'll drink that IPA. All right, so just to back up. What is a good IPA? You gotta name names. Oh man, see, I, I what on the West Coast because I'm out here. Yeah, the Lagunitas IPA is you know a good simple IPA. You know, a lot of the IPAs I really love are ones that use more citric flavored hops that pull that that citrus flavor out. So there was this hop called Lemon Drop, and, and it really expressed really well. Things like that where. I like balance, so I don't want too much malt in it to where it's a meal, but and I'm okay with it being uh, hoppier than, you know, the balance being a little on the hoppy side, that's fine. Currently, there's one called One Stop by Claim Steak Brewing. Brian at Claim Steak here in Rancho Cordova in Sacramento area. His IPAs are always, rarely have I had it done. Like, it, it, they're always, there's always a good balance to it where it's just like, they're not mouth burners. And that's really what I look for in a good IPA is like, unless you're making something like stick or whatever, where, hey, we're really going to just get weird with this hop. That's kind of what I would call it. I mean, to call out Pliny the Younger, everyone goes nuts for, it was a really good representation of a triple IPA back when nobody was doing one. And to do all that. And now it's, if you come back to it and go, this is actually a really drinkable 9.5% triple IPA that be a little rough on like the hop side once in a while each year is different one year was really tiny like really really tiny but it's like you still like put a pint of this down and i think that was that was um, something that gave younger the magic back in the day currently also rubicon's ipa which is now the castillo with alaro brewing in sacramento so rubicon was the first to win the gold medal for ipa ever at gabf and Alaro Brewing, Chris Keaton was the brewmaster for Rubicon. They reopened in that building with the equipment. And Castillo is their version of the Rubicon IPA. And they put it in as an English IPA, I believe, their first year and won gold at GBF. I think they went English because it's a little less of a competing category. But it was Maybe. that it had that. It could have been drank as a cask ale. It, but, the, you know, so it had that flavor profile through the malt. But yeah, so those, that's kind of what I look for in a perfect IPA. All right, so now I have an idea. So, and I hate this shit. I will not wait in line for beer in any other reality in which it happens. But I will be at Pliny the Younger release day in about three and a half weeks. So if you happen to find yourself in line, I'll be the asshole that's hating the whole thing with the tank top. My brother. Are so. you going to Windsor or are you going to the OG pub? OG, because I've never been to Windsor. So we're going to go to Windsor next day. Just on so principle, but I'm going to go to the OG. Yeah, my buddy will be in line with. It's cool. The new facility is really cool in the fact that they it opened up Pliny to a lot more people, and you don't have to wait in line in front of a brew pub. You can go most of your favorite spots that have been really good about serving good beer are getting a crack at having younger. So it's accessible. You don't, you know, rather than one day is your only chance in town. Now you can actually taste younger. They tell you like, go on a weekday, it'll be okay. Yeah, and you, I mean, why waste it? Yeah, you don't do it on a weekend. Do it for the people that are fans of the beer. You know, there has to be some kind of, you got to do it on a work day. It screws up Thursdays. Uh, my Thursday was a little rough this year after this year's release. Um, Windsor, the cool ship in there is amazing. So it's essentially a wooden chapel they built out of wood from Sierra Nevada's brewery out in North Carolina. And they, they ship the wood in. It's all wood. The doors are red and they're church doors. And you walk, you walk into this chapel with this big brass tank for fermentation with the windows open, pulling in the air from that Napa Valley. It's it's amazing. It's one of the best things about that place. Well, I will definitely do that. So we're going to do that the second day. Just because it's hilarious. This is normally the fourth segment 
of the show. I think we're done. I'm going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, and then we're going to actually get into the meat and potatoes of running a, a business and, and, and what happened. So let's take a quick potty break. We'll be right back. Are you thinking about paying retail for your brewery equipment? Well, since we all came and learned how to make good decisions, I'm going to hit you with some knowledge. So pay close attention. BrewBids is the only badass online marketplace to buy and sell new and used equipment. Maybe you're in the market to buy because you learned how to open a brewery the right way and know that overspending can be fatal. Maybe you're expanding up or down and you know that stainless steel lasts forever so it's really even better than new. Or maybe you're a guest of the show and you need a place to liquidate all your brewery equipment before the bank comes in and takes it. Doesn't matter. Each of you should be logging on to brewbids.com right now, creating your account and connecting with the equipment you need. Get smart, get brew bids, and get busy making beer. All right, welcome back. Part of the thing that I wanted to have you on the show for is I wanted to hear about like the starting of the business. So let's start with the first time. First time you decided to do a business, what was the logic? What was the hole in the market you had to fill, right? Yeah, it, it really is a vanity. It was actually an act of selfishness, if anything. It was the first start. The second time was more of a restart. It was a small break, but this... I live out in Clarksburg. Uh, we're 20 minutes from downtown Sacramento on the river. This is where Bogle Winery is. They're the fourth largest winery in the country, owned by one family for 100 years. It's not a gallo that has 50 labels or 100 labels that they bought. They were 2019 winery of the year right before COVID. They're amazing. And so this is, I've always called this poor man's wine country because th- there are some amazing wines. We some of the, grow, grow some of the greatest Chenin Blanc in the world. And it's right in Sacramento's backyard. Nobody comes out. And so I moved out here about six years ago with my ex. And there was this little restaurant in this 100-year-old hardware store called Husix. It really have an identity. It was owned by previous owner was eccentric and didn't really understand the business or anything else. And it was trying to do well, but it was tough. It was really tough. No consistency, nothing. And I'm like, so I was eccentric is point. one of those weird words. Like, what do you mean by that? Like. The dude's fucking insane, but yeah, or do you mean he's truly the most amazing yeah. human being we ever known? But like, there's two different ways you can no, sort she, of. She was she, she was bonkers, and and it needed <laughs> it needed to go. <laughs> she had to go. That was really what right. drove it. It was like I I was at a point where I'm like, hey, I want to get in this business. I want either a dive bar was really what I wanted. Was a dive bar. Let, let me just sell liquor and make a profit. <laughs> you know, you know, make liquor profits. But I was open and she wanted to sell it and she asked for a price that no one in their right mind would ever have offered. I'm like, you gotta go. I think I can fix this. I just want this to be a place I want to go to. I know enough about craft beer and good stuff. I have good contacts. Let me take a swing at this. I understand food. It, it's a challenge building because it's so old. There's no ventilation. It's a modified deli kitchen, essentially. And so right. I took a swing at it. Hold on. So this is the period of the story where I always ask everybody because obviously the main crux of what we're doing here is trying to figure out how to do what we do better and how to start better than we did. And I mean this in the most endearing way because I think you're a fucking cool guy. But what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> it's just... I didn't think I belonged, honestly. <laughs> so I was happy. I thought I was getting an opportunity. It just had to happen. And I, oh my God, so many stupid fucking things I did. What year um, was this? I'm curious. Out of curiosity. This is 2018. Okay. So I, I mean, she asked for too much. It wasn't the value, but it wasn't so much that I, it didn't make sense if I had a note, a bank note. I didn't negotiate almost at all. Um, I didn't negotiate the lease. The lease was, you know, luckily the building owner's cool. But if the building owner wasn't cool, like triple net, triple net lease, where if you're doing the maintenance on the bill on a hundred year old building, you're required to do with well water that's super high and rust. Um, all this stuff, like it, it just is so stupid. I should have had an adult with me, but any adult with any sense would have told me not to do the deal at all. And that wasn't. I was going to let that happen. Yeah, no, you have a pink hat on. I, I get it, right? <laughs> I was just like, fuck it. And and I knew this is also sad. Sad that this is me. It's like, I knew I was going to probably financially ruin myself. I knew it. I knew it doing it, but I'm like, this needs to be done. I need to cut my teeth. I think I can do a good enough job when I'll either be successful or I think I can walk away with my head held high. And this will be a better place that is good for my community. It's good for me. And hopefully someone picks up the torch and I can still go there 
I'm industrious enough. I had a career. I was still working so I could pay my bills. I'm like, this is the time I'm going to take my shot. And if I can make a change, then I'm going to be happy. So I wasn't shooting that high, which is really dumb also. Yeah, but like, so this is the first time I've heard this particular piece of the story. And I think in a lot of ways, every one of us has, and obviously we have retired. I don't mean this in a different way, but we have retired. We have have bigger plans or whatever. But at some point, all of us kind of wanted to make our community better. We wanted to make that place that people come hang out or whatever. And no one's ever told me that that's as high as they were reaching, which I think is fucking cool. But also, obviously, you didn't have a business plan at this point, right? It was not a business plan I would take to investors. It was literally, I put it down. And it was built. It was structured. It was, it was, it, there were so many unknowns with the place. And I was so undercapitalized. Really, the business plan was, I'm going to get in there. And I'm going to fix it. And hopefully with revenue coming in, we'll, we'll become working capital and, and the churn. And then hopefully there's a certain tipping point where it actually starts going into the bank and then it goes, or I'm done. And hopefully I did well enough where there's a foundation and I, I structurally changed it. It, it. So it was fucking crazy and dumb, but it was the funnest, one of the most fun rides I've ever been on. So like it's, it's punk rock as fuck, right? And so it's sort of the yeah. point where we maybe get to this later, but I think that that is the ethos of what craft beer was. And uh, I'll be honest, from my perspective, I don't think it was there in 2018. And so I think it's interesting to actually, let's talk about now. So I'm curious in 2018, when you decided to do this, do you still feel in your heart that craft beer was as punk and as like anti-establishment, you know what I mean? To, To justify that move. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's half the reason I got into it, too. It's because I love the community, and I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to contribute to it. There was a group that called themselves the Sissies in Sacramento, and it, it was, and that's how Ben and I met each other, it, because we made fun of breweries that took to themselves too seriously or or were being very shady, things like that. And, and it was a bunch isn't, of other breweries. Isn't that all of them? That's all. Extra shady. I mean, you've got to make a dollar, but... Where it's just like it just out of hand stuff that were was not good for industry, not good for anyone. The scene Sacramento was one of those scenes that blew up where, you know, we went from like ten you know, in the in like in twenty twelve or something, twenty ten, like like ten or twelve, and then we had forty five. And we were the fourth largest consumer per capita of craft beer in the country, coming up to like up until like sixteen or seventeen. We were right behind San Diego, Portland, like all your expected places. I mean, that's one of the things I wrote on the website was that, you know, getting those stats. And so, yeah, that, that whole, that whole vibe and scene, and, and that's one of the things I miss the most, even though, and the cool part is I'm still in the crowd. Like I, and current job works with them. So I still get to play, but that was part of it. It's like, I was sucked into it in a lot of ways and sucked into that community. Like I want to be one of them. They're doing some really cool, fun stuff. There's some cool FU labels coming out. They're making some <laughs> weird beers. That, you know, some are like selling out in the best of ways, you know, selling their $20 cans of like apple pie, stouts or whatever that everyone's getting. But then they're still making the beat, like however you want to call it, light beers that are just stellar. And seeing these creative geniuses in a lot of ways and these other artists do it. And then so I just I was like, I got to be a part of these madmen in the only way I can. That was one. That was a lot of it. it. Was like I just wanted. I just want to get weird with everyone. What did you open with? How did you do it? Like, what was the plan? Three taps, nineteen taps. So really, there were three K graders I still use to the last day. One it was a seven tap. One and two were two fives. So you know, I had the ability to have seventeen handles, but with no real backup refrigeration. So a lot of sixtals that have to shuffle around and stuff. Really great. And I thought I could do 15, leave myself a little bit of room. And I did that for quite a while. So I could get all these beers on. I could show all these styles. And, and and my whole goal was not who I was carrying, but what I was carrying. You know, so somebody comes in and they want something. There's a spread. Yeah, I'll have a few more IPAs because they're going to sell. And a few, you know, a few hazies because they're going to sell. But I'm going to have a belch. I'm going to have a light. I'm going to have a big beer. I'm going to have each of these little things. Anyone could come in and like, yeah, I don't know what I like or I don't know what I want. I wanted this. And I'm like, what do you like? And you can point them there. That was fucking stupid. <laughs> in what way? I got my sweet spot at 12. That was, so it was initially that and then have cans to fill the gaps and, and get find breweries that I can find consistency in their product. I really liked working with breweries I could trust in the fact that I could trust their beer. 
where they're going to put out whatever style they're doing. They're going to do great. Or if I know their loggers are wonderful, the IPAs are kind of rough. I, you know, getting them in for their loggers and really showcasing their best and, and not what the crowd was going. I was very anti what everyone was, you know, in line about or posting on social media about. I was just like, what's good beer? And so I had a lot of breweries that wouldn't get love at other places, even though their beers were phenomenal. Can you give an example? And they, these neck of the woods, like Blue Note Brewing has some really great ones out there. Another one, Brewer was a brewer for uh, Rubicon. It was Campus Brewing, which before was Yolo Brewing Company. They had a beer. They kind of gave a nod to my place because it's the building's a general store. And they put out a general store's IPA. And that was the Lemon Drop Pop IPA that he made. And it was a summer crusher, one of my best-selling beers. You know, that's the thing. That's what I loved about it is it was a light drinker. For even if you weren't a big IPA fan, you can get into this beer and it had long enough legs too to where you could you got good bang for your buck. So, you know, Dave Dave over there, he would brew some really magnificent beers, but couldn't shake off the sins of the past with that brewery. So yo I supported YOLO quite a bit when he was there with his beers. What are some other ones that didn't get well and some people would shit on some breweries, like aforementioned Sackcown brewery that became Union. When some brewers were there, they had some really great beers, and so I would support. I would support them. Some um, brewers, like so people I, by name, you're not going to repeat, which is great. I'm just oh, make sure. Yeah, I'm not. Well, I don't want to. The other people that I didn't name more than anything, <laughs> you know, I still would love to have a flatland, but you know, they couldn't sell. Enough, they couldn't keep enough beer stocked in their own brewery or in their own tap room to get it in. But like Hilton Nash, they sell a ton of beer out of their brewery. But they really didn't get on a lot of handles anywhere. I loved having like uh, Derek the Red and things like that. That I liked having them in there. One of the partners sold to the other partner, uh, so it's still it's still around. I just it wasn't worried about who the brewery was by name. It was more like, hey, this is really good. I think this is a good representation of the style. I tried a few others to make sure like this just wasn't a one off because it's like, is it good brewing practices or were you just lucky? And there were somewhere it's you're just lucky. So I was a little more selective. And then sometimes I was a little more, if something worked and the price point was great, I rode that horse as long as I could. Because, you know, some craft beer gets really, really pricey, especially when you're having to buy six holes. What does that mean for you? Obviously, the West Coast is different than the East Coast. They're different from fucking uh, Oklahoma City. But what, what is expensive keg out there? So, like, it's really hard. So aforementioned uh, Russian River, they charge as much for STS Pilsner as they charge for... Why need the elder? Weird. Doesn't it's make two, sense. 220 bucks for a half barrel of <laughs> STS. I did not know and, that. And so, yeah. So their sixels are like $110 or something for this Pilsner. And, they, and I don't know how the rep is now and how they are now, but it's like you're not getting younger or elder even uh, unless you're buying some STS. It's something else first. You ain't getting the sweet um, meat unless you tickle the fucking shelf. I get, no, I get it. Yeah, I mean... If any of them ever listen to this, I'll, uh, it's true. Like retailers are being strong armed to pay as much for the, you know, I'd love to have blind pig and I could justify blind pig at 220, which is also, that's a great West Coast, great IPA. If you were to grill me again on IPAs, I take blind pig, but to tell me I have to pay the same price for your pills, it's rough. It, it feels strong on me. So there was a certain point when I couldn't afford it where I'm like, I'm not going to right by back. I mean, STS is amazing. But there's some amazing loggers that are 140 to 150 dollars for a half barrel, like King Kong Brewing. Their June Lay Pilsner. They just had to raise the price, but it was sitting between 140 and 150 forever for a half barrel, and it's amazing. Their their beers are on point across the board, and so you know that's that's kind of the range where I look at you know, Bowers, Belgians, Screaming Deal for any retailers listening is Victory's Golden Monkey. Uh, that's a, a 9.5% Belgian triple, and it's $90 a sixth. I don't know what's mm. going on with the distributor, but it's, you you know, bang for buck versus, you know, most Belgian trips you're seeing at 120 130 for a sixth. Among sellers, is only, only their their Belgian triple, I think, is finally at $100 a sixth, and that's an amazing Belgian trip out here in Sacramento, out of Roseville. So, obviously, you, you have a lot of connection with some of the best breweries in the world, but, like, how did you pick... Which of those breweries to pit, to sell, right? Like you had a you had a million things to choose from internationally, domestically, whatever. What was your concept? Did it matter if it was fifty yard fifty yards away, fifty miles away? 
Yeah, I was definitely not one of those where I would drive and do cake pickups around, like drive to the bay and do that. I I, I just was. I, I work. I worked a full time job too. Still, yeah, that whole time, and so couldn't do it. Where I was, nobody would go out for those beers, anyways. Even if you know, if I had Pliny the Younger, this is back when you would have been waiting in line. Nobody would have waited in line in my place. I would have been sitting on a younger cake for like a week or two. It's just, it just, it wasn't a... Which is garbage for a triple IPA. It's the worst case. (laughs) I hate this about the industry, but yes. Yes. (laughs) So like I, my clientele is, half of them are coming in drunk after wine tasting. Half of them think they know craft beer and they just ask for IPAs. I like what they order, what's got the highest IUs or something juicy. And, and so I didn't have that much of a sophisticated crowd, but I refused to just carry the brands they would, you know, pawn after. I was force feeding them breweries that were close, that were accessible to me, you know, that found value in my place, too. And, and, and that's what happened with a lot of them where they really loved my place with or without me being there because it was such a special building. And, and, you know, showing off beers that just like subversively try to tell the local breweries that were accessible there. I wasn't going to go to the Bay Area once because I did, that was not going to be me. I I didn't want to make money. And I worked really, really hard at not making money. Well, you've done and a good job. Was, it, That's why you're on the show now. I'm, yeah. I, I'm not, thank, thank you. This is the pinnacle of this journey, <laughs> this moment right now. I was, the thing is, like, I'm going to put good beer and good styles if it kills me. And I'm not going to, I'm not, I, so I didn't go out. Most of my local breweries, like, they were happy to come out, a lot of them. A lot of them would grab a sandwich before leaving. It was a good testament to the food. And so those are who I like to work for. People that were just warm and fuzzy. And usually I had a personal love for their people or whatever. And then I knew they made good beer. And usually the beer followed the warm and fuzzies. Do you sell any beers from East Coast? Because most of them were distributed by evil companies. Local distributors really didn't carry much in the way of East Coast, especially craft. This is the answer I, I thought you would give. I was just curious if that's what you gave. That's what you just said. So go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm not like if you. I would carry something from outside of Sacramento. I kept it within Sacramento's region as a whole. And it wasn't because like, hey, we're local. It was more like, hey, I can get local. Let me put money back into the local economy as much as possible. But if there's this beer that is... If a Sam Adams, I think, I'm sure I carried a Sam Adams, and I'm sure I carried uh, <laughs> other ones. Like it was just too bit of a deal, and I knew it was a busy weekend, and I knew the crowd was going to buy the hell out of this. So you know, I did. I, I swallowed my pride on a lot of it. It was like, hey, I'm going to move some beer that's a really good beer. I don't like that I'm getting it from this brewery, but I mean, I would have loved it. I had Allagash Curio once because I loved it. And so bring them over, you know. I wasn't an elitist on this. I just, it had to come to me. (laughs) I didn't have the time to chase it down and such. If I did, it would have been a little bit different a story. All right. So let's take a quick break. And when I come back, I want to hear a little bit about the... Kind of like the struggles, obviously. Like what what ended up happening where... Yeah, we're going to break this out. Obviously, we need to do it in two different sections. Because you you shut down once, you shut down again. And then fourth section, we'll talk about the fuck is next. So, hey, where are you kids buying your grains? You know, back in the day, we only had two options, and each of them knew it. When there isn't any competition, things like customer service and aggressive pricing just don't make a bit of sense to the big guys' bottom lines. But Brewery Direct has given lots of fucks about their customers since the day they sold their first bag of grain back in 2016. They sourced grains for quality and grains for price. And as an extension of Johnson Brothers Bakery Supply, their access to unique ingredients and brewing adjuncts is simply unparalleled. And now, with warehouses from Washington to New Jersey, you've got no excuse for an overpriced or unimaginative grain bill. You can't make great beer from any old bullshit, and Brewery Direct knows that. They have great prices on great grains and offer great service to great breweries of all sizes. Oh, did I mention the free shipping? Check them out at BreweryDirect.com or just type BreweryDirect into all of those social medias you seem to like so damn much. All right. Thanks for sticking with us. I want to hear about what happened, right? So uh, we obviously have a, a, tons of amazing beer and it sounds like a pretty badass fucking situation with your physical plant, which is always the issue. Like, it seems like more and more it's the rent or whatever that ends up killing everybody at the end of the day. So let's address that quickly early on. How was that rent? How was that physical structure as far as like an overall structure of the business and what was going forward? The building was cool in the attraction itself being an old hardware store. But then 
they couldn't have ventilation. So I couldn't do like real full kitchen set. So I lived off a smoker doing barbecue because uh, there's really, that's all you could do that was, that was a gimmick out there. So I is very seasonal. Um, and that was one of the battles I had from day one is, is seasonal business. So when it's good, it's good. Bad, it's bad. So I just kept trying to make the good better and go with it. Rent was a little high given the seasonality. So during the spring and summer, rent made sense. You know, the end of fall through the beginning of spring, rent was murder. It just murdered me. And same with labor. It was it was, it was a lot. It's super interesting for me to deal with yeah. the rent numbers were. Yeah. I, I mean, 3500 a month for 2000 The building was 5000 square feet, but basement wasn't usable. So it was really 2500 It wasn't bad rent for what it was, but I couldn't have – it also – that place, I was the longest-running business ever in there other than when it was a hardware store. So it was traffic just dies. It's a, it's a town of 500 people. It literally lives and dies by who will drive along the river to go wine tasting or whatever. How many $8 pints pay the rent? You know, that's always the issue. But Yeah, and, and, and a lot of people aren't, you know, aren't drinking pints in the wintertime, especially California. Weather has to be nice, especially when you're a destination. It has to be, it has to be nice. It has to make sense. I mean, that always was a challenge. You know, a rainy day cut my business down by... 80%. So we, we have uh, breweries in Texas that have talked to me about multiple times about how it's like, well, everything's going great, but one shitty weekend, we're fucked. And so did yep. you have a lot of outdoor seating? Was that part of it? Or you had... A fair amount. It, no, the inside and outside. But I mean, people wouldn't come down the... I mean, again, we were, we're literally on the le- levee of Sacramento River. It has to be nice. You're, this is a true destination. You, If you're going to want... Nobody wine tastes in the rain. Everyone wants to be out in their sundress or whatever, and they'll bundle up for fall or all that. That was always a tough spot. Part of that spot is it had to be nice or your, your car traffic just died. Only I think it was only 20 to 30 percent of our customers were recurring customers. Like every time I would look at the receipts for the weekend, a POS would show 60 percent new customers each weekend because it's it's the, the, the tourism that was going. So, you know, if you're looking at a brewery or whatever in a tourist area, that's the thing. It's just ups and downs and catching all the ups because the downs were so rough. And who was your POS you looked at? I used Rebel for my POS. I previously had Cake. That cost me eighteen grand in an audit because the way they do their system was really bad where you open your you open the register, you just open the screen, it creates a ticket number. If you close the screen, it stops it and then opens a new one the next time you open it. So there was all these like ticket numbers with no transactions that the government thought was really shady. And they're like, well, based off these many tickets in this time, we think you owe back uh, ta- sales taxes of 17000 It just, that's what kind of put, kind of killed me the first time was that, where it's like, no, I have a letter from them saying this is how their product system does. It's flawed, but this is what it does. It wasn't acceptable. And again, if I was more industrious, maybe I'd buy it. But the government just brings more government when you start fighting them. I just didn't have it. So highly recommend never using I used Rebel after that. It's great. Not non-proprietary hardware. Um, I'll tell you, any POS system that requires proprietary hardware, step away. You want one that's happy to share the same hardware as other POS companies because they feel that strong about their software uh, is what I would highly recommend versus, you know, Cake is owned by Cisco. And that's oh, all you need to know. Fuck that. All right. So continue. So you guys are, are you're doing well. You have a couple of great weekends. Uh, you obviously switch some shitty fucking Cisco shit to something better, and then well, we just moving along and, and going. And I mean, it was a struggle from day one. It grew, popularity grew, our socials grew, everything grew. It's never made it made any money. It was always like this. We're always five to ten percent from being break even. Some of it's labor, some of it's me not being around enough because I work full time, you know. And trying to be open seven days a week, which was the worst idea I did for the first three years was being open seven days a week in an area where there's not enough traffic to justify it. So your your labor Monday through Thursday ate up your sales for the weekends. Big argument a lot of people have. And so the other side of that coin is like, obviously, if you're open Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, no one knows you. No one appreciates what you did. And so on Friday, when they want to go find a place to go, they forget about you. You, just, you fade into oblivion. I'm the only thing in town completely. You are going out to Clarksburg to go drink wine, to drive the river, and you know my spot. And you only go there on the weekends. Weekdays, during the summertime, maybe, when you know people are off and the retirees. But otherwise, that was the thing. And, and I thought I could be better to where, yes, that consistency is key. 
And I'm a firm believer in it. I'm in the trivia business. We believe in consistency is key. That was my day job. I sold trivia to bars and restaurants across the country and breweries. Yeah, you want it, you want it. You don't want them to come and guess if you're open or not. So, you know, I've always been a firm believer of guessing if you have an event or not. But at the same sense, in my area, again, it wasn't repeat customers. It was, or they were, but they were coming out for Q6, for my spot only. Their trip was that. They knew what it was from good weekends and being there when it's nice. And so I probably should have gone to a four-day, you know, I went straight to seven. I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to do this right, quote, unquote, right. And it wasn't. And so when I did this growth and was doing things well, I was losing all my sales to my slow days. You know, do $200 an entire day. How many days a week you did know? you have uh, trivia? Only one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It was, too, it was a fucking softball. I didn't, I didn't want to see it. Yeah, so it didn't change. It's not like, so when the first time I had to shut it down, it wasn't like what was different. It was just like the bleeding had to stop. I bled myself dry. All uh, it, There never was a dollar made for me. And so it wasn't like what went wrong. It was like, no, things getting better and things were going better and better. There were there were, you know, milestones to show improvement and growth and, and all that. And sales would go up, the costs would go up. You know, each time it you know, COVID hit. I slept in my freaking restaurant for three months because I couldn't afford broken glass or anything. And you couldn't go inside, so I put up a tent and I camped whoa, out in my whoa, restaurant. What does that mean? What broken glass? What are you talking about? Like there's it's a hundred year old building and it's all glass in the front. Uh there 10, 12 foot panes of glass, and I didn't have more than three, four hundred bucks in the bank because during COVID. Oh, people were just throwing shit. I had, what do you mean? Oh, everyone was angry with business owners and shit like that. It was a rough. I don't know how it was out there. The first few months, people were very not happy with business owners and everything because everyone was getting everyone's getting laid off. So vandalism was a massive, massive, massive problem. Hmm. A lot of disgruntled employees or anything, or and everyone assumed a lot of owners were rich fat cats that were laying off these little people to keep more money. What I'm hearing is that people in California are as stupid as the rest of the country. Oh, okay, oh, yeah. okay, yeah. I'm sorry. Please, especially proceed. North Cal- Northern Northern California, especially. We're we're a special. Yeah, there's great and then there's rough. But yeah, no, we weren't any special. We weren't any different. And, and again, I mean, also I had nothing to do. I was laid off from my job, so I had just the restaurant. And and we were just this lone building on the side of, of Levy Road. People driving to the Bay Area and back could just go in in the middle of the night. So I had nothing to do. So why not hooked up in my building? And I put up a little tent, call it Camp COVID. No girls allowed sign on the front. And I'd play video games at night. And then I'd be in there in the morning. Which to video games? Stuff. This is important. I was playing a lot of Call of Duty till like 3 in the morning. Of each course you were. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Yeah. It was that. It was like watch Tiger King and then play video. My dad was laid off too. My dad was playing. He would call us wimps for getting off early at three. We're like, pops, go to bed. So that was that was it. Um, so so, so I, how I, the I fuck does this I fall hear, apart, right? Like you've got video games. You've got pops fucking stamping it for approval. I don't understand how this falls apart. How is this not a going concern? Anyway, I mean, I, I, didn't, I knew I was losing. That's the thing. I knew I was losing from day one. And I'm just going to try to, I knew I wasn't done yet. That's, that was the key. I just knew I wasn't done. So why? I knew I had, I think it's an important question. Yeah. It's, I just, I knew there was more I wanted to do with the place. And so COVID allowed, I had no outdoor patio out front. It allowed for me to take this parking lot that nobody could park in really because it was old and shitty gravel and angled. And I put a fence around and I had it 12 picnic tables outside and it, it's one of the best parts of the the place now and, and i couldn't have done that without covid and so I, I just knew i wasn't done yet and so that's kind of i was my goal was somebody with money or with means or with time like i'll take everything on the chin if somebody could kind of carry on what i built and so you know the first time it was last year in january my measure is like if i can't pay my employees i'm not doing business and payroll hits and i cover payroll i get a call i was in another country i got a call from my manager saying hey boss there's not enough money in the account for payroll and i said okay we're done i'll find money and i have a lot of money for my folks just to get payroll and then get home and then i'm like we're done i'm gonna hopefully sell it hopefully somebody will keep what i've done alive but if not 
so be it. I don't have a choice. And so that's how the first time ended. A lot of times it's not one catastrophic thing. You always not sleep at night because you think it's going to be one catastrophic thing that puts you out of business. Because anything can put you out of business most of the time. It's just a little bit of bleeding constantly. And I was trying to stop the bleeding to where I could recover. And I just couldn't get past that precipice. But so that was obviously the nail in the coffin or whatever. But there had to have been multiple times before that throughout six months, three months. I don't even know. My question would be, now looking back, did you see this catastrophic event coming? And another question, should you have, would you have been better off if you had pulled the plug then? I would have called it a COVID. Dude, COVID was so much fun. COVID would, COVID, I, I, yeah, I mean, if, if you're asking if I was a smart man, yeah. Looking back, it, it was really rough coming into COVID. Like right before COVID started, again, I'm coming out of winter and it's always that February to March period where I'm like, shit, I might be done. And then, you get that one beautiful weekend and boom, there's enough cash in and the wheels start turning again. It was like that. And so I was, I thought, okay, this might be it. And then COVID hits and it stops and everything stops. And it actually was kind of a boost in a way because I was living there. I'm like, cool, I'm going to go bare bones and figure it out. There's nothing, there wasn't, I had no labor at that time then. It was just me and then my manager. And, and I was like, I, I, again, even in my first year anniversary, I never, I, the question is, you go and like, how much is it? Is can you lose before you say it's enough? And when you're sitting at like five or ten percent, that's not a crazy amount if you're capitalized. And when you're building a business, and you're especially from the ground, from the whole, and you know, not even starting with new, you know, a new new thing that might be exciting and bringing new customers right off the bat that you can build off of. I was fixing a problem place and, and taking it out of a hole and rebuilding a brand as a whole. So I'm like, okay, this is acceptable. And then COVID hits and it right in that train still and just hoping for that that switch to flip where you do just that extra bit that really plugs the gap where you're not profitable, but I can start putting money away to have a rainy day fund get to help me make it through winter. And it just never came. And there was a certain point where everything I, I there was no more, there was no, no help to, to get me through to the spring last year. And so when it hit that one point, it wasn't disastrous. I mean, it, we're talking like I was short a grant, but that was still enough to go. That was always my, that was always wintertime. It's like, if I can't, if I can't even come up with a grant to make it happen, that's it. This is, this is it, you know? So that's when I was like, okay, going back, I don't know what I would, there's a, there's a laundry list of things. And as an owner, you can always see what you're doing wrong quite often, or you don't, it's one or the other. For me, I could see all the things I was doing wrong and it was crippling in a lot of ways. It made it really hard to enjoy the place because all I could see is, you know, I could do, I could be doing this, I could be doing that. And there's only so much gas in this tank sometimes. And so I was learning this wasn't me all the way. My passion was the project, the fixing, but not the running, like the maintenance and keeping it going and that, that, that was, I was, I was learning very quickly that was not my strength. And yeah, so that's when I kind of knew it was like, maybe this is the time to walk. So at this point, you were the only one that had to ask that or did you have a partner or was there anyone else when, when you got emotionally done me. were you out it was me it was me it was me and i thought it was done and the building owner and the community everyone's like no 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 you've done it um you know after a month or so i'm trying to sell it i uh, get some money back to pay off everyone i owe and, and just get on with life and everyone's asking me like, Hey, we love what you're doing. Give it one more shot. And building owner who I owe an insane amount of money because of COVID. <laughs> he's like, don't worry about it. Just get back open. That building needs to be open. I love what you're doing. Get back open. And so I literally borrowed a couple grand and version 2.0 came to be and, and borrowed a couple grand in food, the manager and I, and uh, my parents, we made that first weekend work and it was, it was a beautiful. The first beautiful day in right before spring, like right after uh, Valentine's day, and in, in Sacramento, if you have a nice February, right after Valentine's Day, business changes immediately. Everyone shakes off January, and some of your biggest weekends of the year are those first few weekends. And that's what happened. We were doing record-breaking numbers, and that put enough cash in. It just restarted the engine. So kept going. And what happened this year, and this is something I learned, and this is something to, to consider when looking at it, starting a place, is the post-COVID consumer is – scared of inclement weather. They have no problem staying at home. So what happened last year is we had a very windy spring, an overly hot summer. In California, we went from 100 degrees in the first half of October 
to 40 degrees in the middle of the day in the second half of October and raining. We've had the wettest, coldest winter we've had in 20, 30 years right now. We're not in a drought. We're officially not in a drought anymore. That's how much there's there's 500 inches of snow in the in, in the mountain passes here. It's insane what we're getting right now. And so every t- if the weather if conditions were perfect, people were going out. But if not, the consumer is like. That's it. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to buy my drinks or whatever, and I'm just going to barbecue or just stay in. And this wasn't just with me. These are people in the metropolitan area. Same thing. Your popular, you know, hot spots. We're seeing it themselves. Like everyone's being a fair weather consumer now. And so that was what really killed me the second time around. It was never really that nice to be outside. The sun was shining, but it's like 50 mile an hour winds, constant breezes. You They stopped putting up with it. In the past, they would. Post COVID, People were not putting up with too hot, they're not going out. You know, too cold, they stopped going out. And so we really had four or five beautiful weekends the entire year last year in 20, uh, 2022. And that's what really kind of put me on the path where I could never recover and try to really start paying people back. And the hole was so big. By the time we got into winter, mid-December, I mean, I'm like, I'm not even going to try to mess around with winter this year. I'm going to close this down. And then at a certain point, just too many bills were out there and too many people. And the last thing I want to do is owe more people and try this, try this again in another spring, jumpstart, try to get out of the hole and probably create more debt, possibly bad will. That's not what I wanted. So I'm like, this is the time I got to do it. I, I'm so far deep in that this is going to be the best thing for me. And so that's when I, in the middle of January, I'm like, we're going to do one last day as a goodbye. I'm going to announce it. And we're going to sell off everything we got. We got food and beer that we can still sell. And let's do it. And so that's what I did. I had a great turnout. But not that great. Even though the weather was perfect, people still aren't spending. And so it was kind of the reminder. Like everyone, I wanted to see show. But it still was kind of quiet out there. The wineries were quiet. Everyone was quiet. I'm like, this is all I needed to see. This is what is like, I don't have it in me anymore to fight the fight. And the next day I slept, I had the best sleep I've had in years, you know, and, and now when it rains, I go, I get nervous and then I go, no, I don't have to worry about it. And so it's really, blood pressure is the best it's been since 2019. It, it's, 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 it was time. I did everything I think I could. And now I just hope that the landlord of the building finds someone that can carry on and do their own thing and has the time and, uh, to put into it that I didn't. So that was actually, that was a lot. Let me, yeah, take, a lot. Let me take a quick break. When we come back, I do have a few questions I want to ask you about that. But ultimately, I just kind of want to figure out where your head's at. You know what I mean? After all that. All right, we are back. So do you ride motorcycles? Because if you do, you want the sickest gear on the planet. And SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com is the site for you. Break free from the pack with your kick-ass style and design that is as subtle as a sucker punch. When you're out on the open road, don't let anyone confuse you with your grandpa. Project an attitude that's all your own. With their signature style and performance, Simpson sets the standard of looking cool while providing superior comfort and protection. Authenticity counts, and there are many helmet brands out there, but there is only one Simpson. You got a killer bike, don't you? Why settle for a boring helmet? Pick your poison at SimpsonMotorcyclehelmets.com. Badass riders don't settle for anything less. See for yourself on Instagram at Simpson underscore motorcycle underscore helmets. Thanks for riding with us. We'll see you out there. Do you guys remember when the phone company used to print all the phone numbers on the internet and then send it to your house in some book large enough to knock someone the hell out? That's how I feel about fermenting beer in closed tanks without AccuBrew. So the industry can be so much better by just being digital. AccuBrew is simple to install, simpler to use, and one of those how in the hell do we ever get along without it products. For less than the case of beer a month, you'll get real-time fermentation feedback on current gravity, temperature, and even clarity. If anything is slowing down or out of the range you set for your recipes, it'll alert you, your brewer, and whoever the hell else gets paid to fix it. Making better beer in 2023 is not an option. Install AccuBrew as soon as you possibly can, check improving the quality of the beer off your list, and get back to figuring out how on earth to be profitable in your beer business. Drop your mash paddle, go to AccuBrew.io, enter Dan Brewery at checkout for 10% off your sensor, follow them on socials at AccuBrew, or just call Parker at 727-685-9860. Your beer, your customers, and least of all, I will thank you. All right. Thanks for sticking with us. So, obviously, at this point, I think you did an amazing job in sort of like explaining what had gone down. A couple of parts I would like to maybe 
tell us more. Like, what was the last day like? What was it? What was it like saying okay, goodbye? You, you know, you made it sound like it was obviously it was a great time. We, we walked away from it, but there had to be some loss. There had to be some tragedy in oh, there. I'm still in the morning phase. You know, I have some really great days because I don't have the fear, that constant fear and pressure. You know, of people depending on you and all that. But I also do feel loss of. I've lost a major portion of life. This is my baby. I don't have kids. This was my baby in so many ways. And the future of it, the future of my legacy is up in the air. And that was on that last day. It was definitely bittersweet. It was in the moment. It was great seeing people. It wasn't great saying goodbye. I have, you know, I have employees that I work for me that were actually interested and were going to approach me to buy the place before that are interested now that I really hope worked out with the landlord. And so that I had a little bit, I had a little bit better once I found that out and they were interested, I, it felt a lot better because I'm like, Corch might go. Not knowing that before I was like, fuck, like, I think that's why I didn't let go is because I didn't want what I, what I've done to die. It was again, ego. I mean, ego started this project and ego finishes with this project. And that's the only reason I sleep better now also is knowing that it might live on is because my ego is, being fed a little bit, knowing that there may be a, le- a part of me that lives on. Do you think you learned something about yourself from the beginning to the end that maybe you don't need that ego the same way you did? Yeah, uh, I mean, there, there's definitely detriment, and there's a lot of there's a lot of repercussions to this. That you know, I'm having some unfun conversations with good people that are not going to get their money and, and are not going to see and. and it's a part of the business. You always go. You full. I mean, your prices should always, and your service should always hold for potential losses. You know, it should go X amount of clients fold. We have that in with Trivia where we start something and then they're closed a month later. They were trying to save their business. So I think that was the other thing is I, in my career, I've seen so many places I love so many awesome people who are, who are doing everything right even, or what I saw I was right. It still lose their business for one thing could, you know, lease was just way too much. Little things are big things. And so, I knew I was in really, really good company and there is a whole club of people and I'm finding it now and, and of current owners of bars and breweries that, you know, that are buddies where they're like, I, how's it feel? You know, where the, you know, because we were bonding in the before because of how we were all like, yep, this is going to put me out of business. You know, you, you really, it's, it's, it's this band of brothers for lack of a better word, uh, you know, fellow soldiers that are getting shot at, bullets are whizzing, it's the government, it, you know, bad customers, suppliers, you know, flying at you, and you just hope your buddies don't get hit and go down. And that's kind of how it felt like, and that's how it's been treated with, you know, a lot of my counterparts and friends. It's been like, dude, sorry, you know how it hurts, but how also happy you probably this is the next chapter. And, and so it's very conflicting, and, and you feel guilty for being happy sometimes, too. But for being happy in the sense you got out of it or being happy in the sense that you're just happy in general? Happy in general. I'm not happy I got out of it. I miss it. But happy that I'm not worrying all the time. The amount of, I mean, the amount of stress, it, it, at least for me, the amount of stress and fear that goes on when you're, when you've got your spot, because so many things could really put you out of business and ruin you that are out of your control. No matter how much you mitigate risk and care and all that, there's always things that just maybe a bridge too far for you and unforeseen so much of my time i was always waiting for the boot to drop one way or another it's you know what really pushed me over the edge was i got served by one of my lenders (laughs) you know when i had santa in the restaurant uh for christmas and i'm sitting there watching the kids have fun well she said sorry she felt bad she's like are you josh crest i said yes she's like you've been served i'm sorry (laughs) and i'm looking at this like i think this is time i you know i'm now being sued by a lender, I got this is this is it. How far past you at that point? Very, uh, probably like ten months. Oh. It was it was really far. it was a it was essentially I took this business loan to get through the winter last year, and then that audit took it all, and I could never make it up. I'm paying. I'm just paying anyone I can. Like the whole last year was taking money I got, make sure employees are paid, and food and beer can flow, and then everything else. Try to service and get who I can, and you know powers. Tw- my power in the summer is like almost three grand a month. You know, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. What did you say? My Your drug bill for cocaine is three grand a month. Is that what you said? I wish. 
No, I, my bill for cocaine would be way less, allegedly. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 so, you know, just, but I got to pay that big one because that's how you keep it going. So it was always, I mean, you hear it all the time, robbing Peter to pay Paul. And then essentially sometimes Peter has a really big stick and, and lawyers and you go, all right. And that's really what happened. I'm, I just looked at this. I'm like, I'm out of business. And that was it. That was it. I'm like, at least nobody got hurt. And I can't, I've got some time to figure it out. And, and I explored options, but I knew when I saw that, I'm like, this is it. And ethically for me, I can't rack up any more debt. And I think I would. And so I was like, all right, this is, this is the turn. All right. So you, you walked away. You knew that was the time to end that thing that you had done. And Husix needed to die. What's going on? What's next? Like, obviously, you have the... In trivia, yeah. yeah. So, I'm the sales and marketing director for them. So, I work like 50, 60 hours a week already doing that. And so, having my attention split was rough. And I'd have good weeks where I was kicking ass. And then it would affect me on other weeks because Husix was just too heavy. And, and and so, now I'm thriving. I'm doing better. And I'm getting... I have a career and a passion. That's the funny part is like building this company is a 19 year old company, but we kind of went into startup mode moment when I got hired. And so this has been, this has been my thing is like we're growing and building and doing new things. And I have a owner who knows how to make money and keep it and makes good decisions. So I get, I get to do all the dreaming like I was as an owner, but then he can tell me no because he's got the purse strings and that's okay. I just get to dream in another way. And so I get a lot of, I'm in a, I'm in a position where I get to expel a lot of that energy and creativity that you get to as an owner to try to make things work. But at the end of the day, it's not my, it's not in my power to, you know, I can let, I can walk in and I just find a new way. That's my job. And so it's been great professionally because I've, I've learned a lot of lessons and a lot of my clients or people I talk to that are potential clients, they commiserate. They're like, Oh yeah. Well, you made it. You're, you were a year and a half in before COVID, and that was it. And, and then COVID hit, and you still rode the, the, the wave this long. Who knows to you, man? And, and, and so that's what I've been getting a lot of is like, you made it past the year. And the best of the times, restaurants have such a high fail rate. Breweries, you know, breweries start out leaner in a lot of ways. You know, you're not having to do the food ops. You're not having to do all that. You also make less money, but a lot of times you're in for a lot less. So it is a longer, sometimes it's a longer, slower bleed where you get to that same point I was, but it eventually, it eventually comes even as a brewery and a small brewery to go a couple of years is no small feat quite often just cause there's, it just costs so much and there's always something. There's always something. And so, yeah, it's just taking everything at one step and, and taking the lessons in the goodwill and then, but not admonishing myself of my mistakes either. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So what would you say is the biggest thing you learned? Over the whole process of opening that business, what what was the like kind of the two takeaways? It's hard if you don't have a ton of money. It's hard to not be living at your business. You gotta, as an owner, it, you either have to have a partner, an operating partner you trust that knows what they're doing, and you're there. And if they're that you know can can watch everything, that is that. I had a manager, but she didn't have as much business, and she had great customer service and knew ran everything, but. Not always the best, like, we didn't know how to do the unfine decisions of maybe a really short schedule because there's not enough labor, things like that. Having to be there or, you know, a lot of times that's why a lot of couples, it kind of works because there's one that's on the floor general and then there's one in the back end, you know, that. Get a bookkeeper. Early, fast. Don't be afraid. I was ashamed of my books very early on and my buddies, like, here, use my bookkeeper. And I should have. I, I try to do everything myself. And a lot of times that costs you way more in the long run. And I think that's one of my bigger ones is counting and little things like that. They're the ones that help you stop bleeding and they keep some of those nickels and dimes around. If you were to do it again, would you do it again? Somebody else's money. Yeah. And I think uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, so that's my future. If there's an investor like, Hey, I liked what you did and all that. I'd be like, yeah, I'll be a creative partner. Um, you can't trust me with the day to day. Like I'll help steer the ship and I'll give vision, but you don't want me. You, you want somebody that will be too far deep. I want to be in the clouds a little too much. So, but yeah, so if there's someone that's willing to get into that, that's fine. But um, it's not what I, I satiated uh, myself, you know, with I, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I can be on this uh, on this side of things 
it'd be very okay. But if somebody wants to throw a couple million at a project and do something cool, then yeah, I'm still a masochist in some ways. I appreciate that. So give us, how do we connect with you? So if somebody is a sadist to your masochist, <laughs> how do they find your stupid fucking ass? Instagram's probably the best way. That was, is an old, old handle. That's my personal, but you can also go back and see what I did. I did funny videos for, you know, I created a shtick for, for Q6 that really helped on marketing. And you'll see a lot of the videos I did. And you'll see connections to Q6 Tap House and that IG and what I did. So you can you can kind of see some inventive ways of engagement that I did that other people copied. That was cool. It was a funny. I always had funny shirts on. And, and the the spend was way better than having a social media manager uh, or somebody doing creating some content or pictures for you. It's like I just bought funny shirts and just said, hey, what's up? Here's what's going on. Um <laughs> So yeah, that, my Instagram is the best way. You can definitely message me that way. I'll definitely respond. And if you follow at King Trivia, you can see what my company is up to, where we're at. And it may be a tool that helps if you decided to take the plunge and you want a program, we're here to help you grow. And that's that's what makes me happy now is I get to help, you know, my compadres try to, you know, with our product works really well and find new ways to save some of your nights. So I'll link all that in the show notes. Again, I really appreciate you doing the show. Have a good one. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Thanks a fuckload for sticking around, guys. What my guests and I do here wouldn't be possible without your curiosity. And balancing the toxic positivity in the craft beer industry with a hefty dose of reality could not be more important. If you're thinking about starting a brewery, I honestly wish you the best of luck. If you've already got one and you're trying to decide if you should keep it, I wish you the best of love. Maybe you shuttered or sold your beer business and you're well into the next positive and hopeful stage of your life. In that case, I'll buy you a beer or seven. I'm always on the hunt for great stories of other breweries that have felt the sting of struggle. I'm always open to answering questions and helping any way that I possibly can. So feel free to reach out. Email is easiest at freeplaykelly. Oh, and if you're inclined to support the show, there are a few ways you can go about that. None better than sharing your favorite episode with your favorite friend, followed very closely by buying a copy of my 2020 book, How Not to Start a Damn Brewery. And last but never least, you can support the businesses that have supported the show. I truly hope this show has made you think, made you feel, and made you better at your career. And of course, I hope it's taught you a little something about how not to start a damn brewery. Free play. Media. Media.